Roland Martin, unfiltered daily digital show will be starting in about a minute and 47 seconds as the guest panel and quite a few topics to cover today is going to cover the accidental shooting of Dante Wright that was in Brooklyn City, Minneapolis, Minnesota in the United States, North America and the Chauvin trial the ex-cop in Minneapolis on trial for George Floyd's murder. His other topic, find our missing Corey Gautier and a tribute to DMX, the phenomenal DMX rapper who died in the past week at a fairly young age, 40-something, 50-something. Okay, another 23 seconds. I'll start reading the notes. The accidental shooting, the accidental police shooting of Dante Wright. Chauvin trial continues. Army lieutenant is filing suit after he was pulled over and pepper sprayed by police officers. Today is Monday, April 12, 2021, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Black man shot and killed by cops in a Minneapolis suburb. The officer caught on video saying she thought she pulled her taser. Instead, she killed his brother. Protests have erupted there in that city. We'll talk about that and also the Derek Chauvin murder trial where his attorneys tried to actually get the jury sequestered. The judge turned that down. And in that trial, the brother of, who will testify today, the prosecution called their final witness. Folks uh, in Virginia, a officer fired after video went viral over the weekend of a U.S. Army lieutenant being pulled over for no reason whatsoever, pepper sprayed, threatened by the cops. And Maryland, they become the first state to repeal the law enforcement officer's bill of rights, overriding the veto of Governor Larry Hogan. The White House is putting the creation of a National Police Oversight Commission on hold. We have a police panel. Don't want to miss their analysis. Oh. Corey Garfier, a Louisiana State University student, is still missing. And her car was found abandoned on a freeway with her purse and cell phone in the car. The Baton Rouge cop didn't bother to call her parents to tell them the car was found before it was towed to an impound lot. And civil rights attorney Kristen Clark has a confirmation hearing scheduled this week. We'll talk about why her appointment is to the uh, post. This could be to the DOJ. is very important in light of so many reports of police misconduct. Folks, we pay tribute to rapper DMX. It is time to breathe the bomb. And roll the bomb unfiltered. Let's go.
car air freshener. That's why 22-year-old Dante Wright was pulled over by cops in the Minneapolis suburbs. He was asked to step out of the car, handcuffed, trying to get back into the car when an officer fired a shot, killing him. It was captured on body cam footage where she says she had a taser. We're warning you right now, folks. Uh, if there's a trigger warning, we'll give you an advance notice. We're going to show this in about 10 seconds. This body cam footage was released today by the police department in that city. And so let's show it right now. shot him. She yelled taser. Okay, we got some problems with that because a taser doesn't weigh the same as a gun. Here's the police chief of Brooklyn City commenting on this, what he termed an accidental shooting. As you can hear, the officer, while struggling with Mr. Wright, shouts taser, taser several times. That is part of the officer's training prior to deploying a taser, which is a less lethal device. That is done to make her partners aware, as well as the subject, that a taser deployment will be imminent. During this encounter, however, the officer drew their handgun instead of their taser. For informational purposes, we train with our handguns on our dominant side and our taser on our weak side. So if you're right-handed, you carry your firearm on your right side and you carry your taser on the left. This is done purposefully is trained. As I watch the video and listen to the officer's commands, it is my belief that the officer had the intention to deploy their taser, but instead shot Mr. Wright with a single bullet. This appears to me, from what I viewed and the officer's reaction and distress immediately after, that this was an accidental discharge that resulted in the tragic death of Mr. Wright. Here's the mayor of Brooklyn City. is that uh, we cannot afford to make mistakes that lead to uh, the loss of life uh, of, of other people in, in our profession. And so I do fully support uh, releasing the officer of her duties. Now, the incident that happened about 10 miles from where George Floyd was murdered by Derek Chauvin. Again, he's on trial for the death of George Floyd. Last night, thousands took to the streets. To do, thousands took to the streets and were met with police and riot gear and tear gas. Uh, today, the 
numerous uh, questions at the news conference and where the mayor was questioned about the response to uh, the folks who were out there protesting. Folks, they're protesting right now in Brooklyn Center, and they expect there to be more protests tonight. Look at our law enforcement panel, Brendan Hudson, the founder of the National Coalition of Law Enforcement Officers for Justice Reform and Accountability, retired LAPD Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey, uh, and both of them join us right now. Uh, I, I want to start with you, um, Cheryl. So, so, so take us through. First of all, guys in the control room, should have queued the video up. And Cheryl, this is what I don't understand. She pulls the gun out. She thinks it's a taser. It's about five seconds go by before she fires. How does she not know that she grabbed the gun and the taser? Don't they weigh differently? Don't they feel differently? Absolutely. And so what we're hearing now is a police chief trying to minimize and mitigate mm -hmm. behavior that should have never occurred. They understand that city liability will soon follow. And I do believe that this police chief serves at the pleasure of the mayor who said he has a problem with this. So he has an opportunity, an affirmative responsibility, the mayor, to make sure that the police chief gets this right. They are now trying to craft a scenario that will sit well with the public. And it's bothersome, first of all. You don't even tase someone because they're about to drive away. You have the guy's car. You've run his plate, hopefully, tactfully, you should have. You've had his license plate, hopefully. You know who he is and where he's likely to go. Why would you even tase him because he's running because he had air fresheners hanging from his rearview mirror and possibly a warrant? It makes no sense. See, th th this is the thing for me, Reddit, that, that, that's so problematic here. Um, and, and that is, uh, you pull them over for air freshness. Why? Now, after you pull them over, they discover there's a warrant. What was the total? $346. $346. That's what the total amount was. I was, uh, I was on... Uh, I, was, I was on social media earlier uh, where someone actually pulled up uh, that particular information uh, that, that, that explained uh, what took place. Uh, and uh, apparently it was two minor misdemeanors. One, a marijuana case totaling $346. Pled guilty, filed for the deferred payment, uh, and he missed uh, a remote hearing.
contracts. Get rid of qualified immunity. I, immunity. I think the uh, state of Maryland just did that, but that needs to happen all over the country. It's one of the things that allow officers to act with such impunity and be so reckless. If you see the tape again, when you asked uh, Sergeant Dorsey about it, one of the other things that jumps out, and, and I'm sure the sergeant probably observed this too, is how she's moving the weapon around prior to discharge because there's an officer initially partially obscuring her target and she waits until he gets out of the way. She's kind of moving the weapon around him so as not to hit him with whatever's in her hand. Obviously, she has to see it in order to aim it. <laughs> so I've got questions about this account that she thought she had her taser, which is holstered on the opposite side from your strong hand. It's just another reckless black body by police officers in this country and until we see real accountability that's the only training that it matters man that's the only training we need right now people need to start going to prison cities need to pay the money to the families that have been injured but people need to start going to prison Derek Chauvin or perhaps this officer after the investigation I can hold anything in my hand man and say anything I want to it doesn't necessarily indicate what my intention is if I point a gun at you and say lollipop 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 and pull the trigger i've still shot you to death and that statement that i made is not uh uh exculpatory at all dr dr lacy davis founder of black cops against police brutality you he also joins us uh, what is strange to me you've got a cop on the opposite side of the car you've got a cop who's dealing with uh, Deontay, you got another police officer. You got a minimum of three. We didn't see anywhere. You got a minimum, minimum of three police officers. He hops back in the car. Again, what, what I don't understand is how is your first instinct to grab a weapon, taser or gun? A gun wasn't found in the car. There was no indication that there was a weapon in the vehicle. She's on the side of the vehicle. The other officer's on the side with her. The other officer's on the other side. He's not about to run over somebody. So I'm just trying to understand, from a police standpoint, what causes you to pull out a taser or a gun in that circumstance? Well, Roland, you guys are touching on it, but I think we're about 200 years past where we should be in having this discussion. And that is that what process is, is contempt of cop. It is that you are black and we have told you to do something and we expect you to do it. Law enforcement continually repeats this theme of the foundation of how policing comes to be. Slave patrols controlling the movement of black people at all costs. And so while we logically don't understand it because we cannot get into the mind of that type of pathology, it makes sense to me of 20 years of watching this and now studying this because we see this continually. We do not see the same kind of pretextual stops and misrepresentation of gun, gun, I mean, taser, taser, and shooting a gun of white people. As my colleague Greg Hutch just said, we saw this on the 6th. It was very clear. They fired one shot on the 6th at an insurrection where people had guns and cops were being murdered, beaten. They were doing everything you could do to a police officer, and you saw this extreme discipline. Yet every time the subject is black or brown or appears to be, um, 
the thing that is amazing to me is how immediately it becomes, oh, it's just a pity the officer involved. But listen to this nonsense from Martha McCallum on Fox News today. But also make sure there's due process and fairness. I mean, that, that is the question. You hear all these individuals talking about reform and accountability, and you hear the emotion also coming from these police officers. We just heard it from the sheriff. We heard it earlier from the chief of police uh, who oversaw the officer who committed this act. And, you, you know, you, you have to think about that person as well today because uh, that officer's life is forever changed by this, by this, what is being referred to as an accident. So what, what needs to be done? I mean, you all looked at this in so many different ways. Really, Cheryl? So the officer, her life is forever changed. He's dead, though. He can't come back. You know, they, they say that their, her life is forever changed, but, you know, I can't speak to this officer's heart, certainly, but we do know that many of these officers are repeat offenders. Here in California, Vallejo Police Department has a group referred to as the Fatal 14. Why? Because they've had numerous fatal shootings. And so is this her first encounter? Will it be her last? I don't know. But unless and until there's accountability that's commiserate with the mistake, with the oops, then officers are going to continue to live to offend again. And qualified immunity is certainly a problem. But before we get to that, why don't we take a look at decertifying officers once they're found uh, having committed some sort of policy violation, fired from that department, so they don't have the benefit of then going next door and joining a neighboring police department and doing the same thing all over again. You know, the, 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 thing, the thing here, the thing here, uh, Reddit, that we continue to see, that we continue to deal with over and over and over again, uh, is the, uh, uh, you know, this was an accident, it was this, and then, you know, it's only a few bad apples, and oh, these things happen. Uh, again, what, what, what is strange to me, I think, I think about uh, the story we did out of Florida, where they pulled over these two young men, it was the wrong car, and, and the brother was uh, about to drive away, and the officers uh, fired into the vehicle. Neither one was in danger, neither one was going to be hit killing uh, the brother who was behind the wheel, and the cop pulled over the wrong car. We're going to talk about in a second the, the lieutenant uh, in Virginia. And in the video, we're going to show it. He says, I do not want to get out of the car. This Duante Wright story is a perfect example of why a black person is like, hey, I do not want to get out of the car. And all these other folks, again, who keep yelling, well, why did he try to break away and jump in? Look, People do stupid stuff and they freak out. But doing something stupid doesn't mean that you get shot and killed. But we also got to go back to the most basic front. Who the hell stopped somebody for air fresheners? Okay, I, I don't know what that... Air fresheners hanging from a rearview mirror? Seriously? Right. And in the case of the lieutenant's stop, I think I heard it called in as a felony stop, which is incorrect. The probable cause that they offered up was that they could not see his license plate or his license plate was obscured. But, but uh, Dr. Davis touched on it, man. The foundation of the problem is white supremacy and the way that it permeates the culture of policing in America, especially as it relates to black bodies. Those guns get fired into cars with black drivers. Those People that get choked out on the street are black people. Those people who are murdered in front of us 
you know, in broad daylight while the officer sticks his hands in his damn pockets and, and calmly looks at the camera or black bodies. That doesn't happen with black officers and white in, in, the, in the rare instances that it does, for example, in Minneapolis, the same city that Derek Chauvin is on trial in, the same city where young Dante Wright just lost his wife, Mohammed Noor shot a white woman, unarmed white woman there while he was on duty, and he is serving at least 12 years in prison as we speak. No police union came to defend him. They didn't get him an attorney. There was none of that Blue Lives Matter talk. So it is very much also a race issue when it comes to how we're policed in this country. And I would say to my fellow officers, those who are currently in service and those who are retired, two of whom are on this show with me today, who are four founding members of NCLEOJ. This is the first time we've ever had an opportunity to speak together. Look at where you put your money, man. Pull out of those unions, man. Pull out of those unions and start your own union. Similar to what they've done here in St. Louis back in the 70s, the Ethical Society of Police is a predominantly black officers association. But you can no longer support, man, those people who do this in your community and then pay to have it defended. Derek Chauvin's lawyer is being paid for by the police union there. You need to get out of these collective bargaining agreements. The cities around the country need to reevaluate where the political power and will exist to pull out of those collective bargaining agreements. Do it, rip them up, man, so that we can start to see real accountability. That is the only thing that will change this. People going to prison, Derek Chauvin going to prison for the rest of his life is the best training that police officers in Minneapolis can get relative to how to interact with black citizens who are also protected ostensibly under the Constitution of the United States. DeLacia, that, that is a point that, uh, that I've also long said, that as long as police officers never get indicted, as long as they're found not guilty, they can operate in impu uh, with impunity. Uh, but until you begin to have folks go to prison and they realize, I screw up, I might be head to prison. Amber Geiger. Head to prison. Uh, the cop who killed Walter Scott. Everybody forget that was a mistrial. He pled guilty to civil rights violations, not murder in, in the state of South Carolina. He's sitting in prison. That is how you deal with it. Uh, Laquan McDonald, that police officer, uh, sitting in prison. That's what we have to deal with. And so it's amazing how the law and order, uh, law and order crowd gets real quiet. Wrongdoing by cops. So let's remember, white supremacy is predicated on controlling and maldistributing all of the resources in a community, up to and including us. And as a result, you see pretextual stops, what you're talking about when we stop you for something hanging in the mirror. There's no crime. I mean, really, it's, it's supposed to be an obstruction, and there should be a primary reason for a stop. It should be secondary in many of the places where we do work. Additionally, as, as um, Sergeant Dorsey said, you know the per you don't see the plate, you know who the person is, you know their name, you run the plate, you know the description of the vehicle, you let them go, and we get them another day. In fact, I've mailed tickets or warrants to people to summons them to come to court because they drove off on them. It, it's not that big a deal except when it's people of color because it's a deep-seated issue. It's the real issue of race reckoning in this country around law enforcement, which is why other folks are feeling sympathetic toward an officer. Even if I accepted the officer's argument in this instance that it was an accident, there still must be real consequences for police incompetence. Because at the very minimum, you're incompetent. There's a different amount of um, power that is needed to squeeze the trigger on a gun than on a taser. You're right. The weight is different. It feels different. It's 
our community has to develop a political will. We have to use our economic resources to punish those folks that will not stand up for our community and reward those who do, just as they're screaming about them moving um, the, 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 the baseball game and all the, I mean, the other events. What has to happen is that we now have to come together, even with those black folks who are Negroes on the police force, because we have some who do not have the testicular fortitude to stand up for our community because they believe that they're going to pay a price, and they will, but we must be willing to pay the price. My colleagues here have all paid a very high price for standing up for our community, but we believe that that is, the, that is what we sign up for when we take that oath to protect and serve the community, not the police. Let's talk about Virginia, where one or two police officers caught on tape pepper spraying and pointing guns at a black and Latino army officer. Second Lieutenant Karan Nazario, during the December 6, 2020 traffic stop, uh, that cop has been fired. Okay, the town of Windsor released the following statement yesterday. The statement reads, The pursuit and ultimate stop resulted uh, in the use of pepper spray against Lieutenant Nazario by Officer Gutierrez. As a result of this use of force, department policy requires an internal investigation to determine the appropriateness of such action. The investigation of this event began immediately. At the conclusion of this investigation, it was determined that Windsor Police Department policy was not followed. This resulted in, dis in disciplinary action and department-wide requirements for additional training were implemented beginning in January and continue up to the present. Since that time, Officer Gutierrez was also terminated from his employment. Folks, first of all, we're not buying that crap because the only reason that that statement came out is because this video got released over the weekend. Social media blew up. And here's a video from the camera of Officer Gutierrez. Watch, listen. Open the door slowly, step out. Open the door. Get out the car. Open the door slowly, get out. Sir. Sure. 
that was taped to the window. They get their lights to pull him over. He continued to drive to a well-lit gas station, pulled into a VP gas station. Let's bring back our law enforcement panel. Okay. So let's let's let, let, let's let's walk through this. First, Reddit, I'll start with you. The officer radioed and said a felony traffic stop. What was the felony? There, there was none. That's what I've said in the other uh, discussion we were having. There was no felony, man. They, the probable cause that was indicated that I'm aware of was something to do with his license plate. That doesn't constitute a felony stop. A felony stop involves a vehicle that's wanted for a felony, assault first, or something like that, or something you saw on view uh, committed by a person who then is leaving in the vehicle. This is neither of those. And again, it comes back to the thing. When you hear the directives that this officer is issued, it's all about do what I say. There is never an attempt at any point where it would have been reasonable to tell the guy, hey, man, we stopped you because we couldn't see your plate. And we had to, you know, stop you and, and, and get some clarity on the vehicle and its occupant. And that's why we're standing right here, as opposed to the escalation that we see over and over and over again when it comes to police exercising the power that they've been given by the state. And too many times it's exercised recklessly as it was in this case. And unfortunately for this officer, he was caught on camera because you know, had he not been caught on camera, none of the consequences that have followed would be in place. I doubt that he would have lost his job. I doubt that he would have been disciplined. But thank God for the cameras. Thank God for the increasing number of voices we hear around the country. Uh, I was single out to two panelists who were here with me, uh, Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey, Dr. DeLacy Davis here in St. Louis. Sergeant Heather Taylor, retired Sergeant Heather Taylor, Keith Williams out on the West Coast and others around the country who have forced this conversation of now finding ourselves joined in the dialogue by people who understand we're at a critical point, man. You can't go back. You can't tinker around the edges with this system relative to reforms. The system needs to be remade. The way we do public safety needs to be remade. So uh, he was out of line and he shouldn't be in police work. Cheryl, you hear Gutierrez yell, you're going to ride the lightning, which actually was a phrase uh, from the movie The Green Mile, uh, where one of the characters was on death row. Uh, that's where that came from. You heard the aggression in his voice. You heard the calm nature of Nazario. Why are you pulling me over? I don't understand. No, just get out of the car. Then Gutierrez yelled, it's obstruction of justice. How? You you haven't even told me why I'm being pulled over. At no point do you hear them ask. I mean, they come out of the car with guns. So if I'm Nazario, I'm the same way. I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm not about to get out of a car and two cops both got guns on me. I don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, this was a situation in my mind where we have a, a tenured veteran officer, white man, who's going to show that little young rookie how to tame a black man. Let me show what you do with a Negro <laughs> who doesn't respond to orders. He was reaching and grabbing for all sorts of justifications. Uh, you're under arrest for obstruction. No, you're being detained. 
and you can see the rookie officer, he doesn't know what the hell's going on. He's looking left, right. He's trying to figure out what his, his senior training officer is doing. He's trying to mimic some of the actions that he sees the more seasoned officer engage in. This is not a training issue. This is somebody who has animus because a black man had the temerity to not follow his order. And so for that, sir, you will pay. See, and, and the thing here that, that, that is crazy, DeLacy, uh, again, watching this, and we're going to pull the video up in a second, uh, of when a senior officer comes to the scene uh, and they're trying to, they're providing him treatment, and then, but Nazario says that you guys threatened my military career. That also happened to this encounter. This is this isn't about as my colleague just said about training. I think it's about training day. I started the conversation with the mentality. We're talking about a warrior mentality versus a guardian mentality. We're talking about law enforcement versus public safety. We're absolutely talking about a lack of respect for black and brown men by white men. Period. It's as simple as that. It's not convoluted. You don't have to reach for straws. We don't have to go train anybody to de-escalate. The lieutenant was de-escalating. Through all of this, he was very calm in his demeanor. They were giving conflicting commands. One little idiot tells him to get out the car and take off the seatbelt. The other one says, keep your hands out the window. Well, how do I get the seatbelt off with my hands out the window? Right. Point training. Be quiet, and one person gives commands. All right. So, it's to, 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 and also to show how your point how you have these racist white men how they look here's uh this racist red kelly who you see on newsmax and again i I need everybody to understand how narrative is set this is what he tweets troublemaker lieutenant nazario should be kicked out of the military his stupid actions and unwillingness to comply with very basic instructions for police means he's incapable of ever leading go to the next one now this is the point that cracks me up one more little tidbit the bad Lieutenant Nazario had a loaded gun on the floor of the car, in the front seat, by his leg, something the corrupt folks in the media won't say for some reason. Uh, Greg, Virginia is an open carry state. I, I, I thought y'all loved the Second Amendment. It's an open carry state. You literally don't have to have a permit to have a gun in a vehicle in Virginia. But you see how the racist white man on Newsmax, Greg Kelly, wants to frame it as, oh, this uh, out-of-control black man. Uh, And then go back to it. He goes, one great cop is Lieutenant Joe Gutierrez, a Marine vet. He shows compassion, sensitivity, and, yes, appropriate aggressiveness. The EMTs were very courteous as well. Nice job, Windsor, Virginia. Well, Greg, you might want to help them pay this big-ass settlement they're about to pay because it's about to happen. But again, just to show, uh, uh, again, just to just to show again the sheer the sheer racism. This fool here literally says, "I've seen generals with less attitude, arrogance, and swagger than this second lieutenant." Anybody who sees the video saw Lieutenant Nazario as cool and calm as collected. Here's what the governor of Virginia had to say, Ralph Northam. Uh, this is the statement that he actually released. Pull it up, please. The incident in Windsor is disturbing and angered me, and I am directing the Virginia State Police to conduct an independent investigation. 
Our Commonwealth has done important work on police reform, but we must keep working to ensure that Virginians are safe during interactions with police. The enforcement of laws is fair and equitable, and people are held accountable. I'm inviting Army Medic Lieutenant Karan Nazario to meet soon. We must all continue the larger dialogue about reform in our country. Cheryl, he has filed a uh, civil suit against uh, Windsor. Uh, they know they're going to have to pay up because here's the deal. He was released after all of that. No charges. So why the hell did you pull him over? And, you know, we see this time and time again. And, you know, I often talk about what happens when a police officer kills one of us. And then, of course, there's only one story to tell, and it's the one that they've crafted and created. Thankfully, uh, Lieutenant Lozario did not lose his life. The governor wants him to come meet with him. I hope he doesn't um, let him talk him out of the civil suit. Let them go ahead, throw buckets of money at him like they always do when they harm or kill us. They do nothing to change substantively that police policy, and I hope that someone in Virginia will take up legislation that will decertify officers like we're trying to do here in California so that this Gutierrez can't go to another department right next door. Firing him was a great first step, but that doesn't preclude him from joining another police department who's sympathetic like we saw with Timothy Lohman after he shot and killed Tamir Rice. There was a neighboring agency who decided they wanted to give him a second chance, but it was really a third chance. And so we see time and time again officers being gifted resignation and then being well compensated. Betty Shelby shot and killed Terrence Crutcher. This half is now teaching how to get away with murder. I call it, they call it, how to survive a critical incident. And so it's outrageous that this continues to happen, but for accountability, substantive accountability, this will continue. Uh, Reddit, that's just what it boils down to. And when we talk about uh, the actions taken to stop this, we see what has taken place uh, in the state of Maryland, where uh, the legislature there, they have actually overwritten vetoes of various bills by the governor of uh, Maryland. A bold move, if you will. Lawmakers uh, repeal the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights, making the first state to do so. The Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights would have protected police officers from investigation and prosecution. New rules have been put in place requiring officers to, prior, to prioritize de-escalation tactics and imposes a criminal penalty for those found to have used excessive force. Also, discipline for officers who use excessive force will be largely decided by civilian panels, with police chiefs still maintaining a role in the decision. How important is this action of the Maryland, Maryland legislature to override these vetoes by Governor Larry Hogan? Oh, I think it's huge, man. I think it's huge, and I think it could become a model or precedent for other places around the country that have the kind of political uh, mass that they had there in Maryland. They had to have enough votes to override the governor's veto, which they did, and rightfully so. I think you're going to see changes in terms of outcomes in police encounters there in Maryland, and I think you can see those same changes anywhere that those kinds of moves are made. To uh, uh, Sergeant Dorsey's point, that certification piece is critical. It has to be looked at. Qualified immunity must be done away with. And I think we have to start looking at these collective bargaining agreements that unions put in place, many of which uh, include the kinds of disciplinary protections and lack of transparency and time between uh, the time that you commit a crime or, or are involved in a critical incident and you have to provide a statement, you get all this time to get your story together and all these other protections that the average citizen like you and me don't get when we commit a crime. So. 
I think it's huge, and I think the nation is ready for that. I've said on, on you know, in other spaces, our top line administration, the Biden administration, now is the time for courage, man. This is not the time to be waffling around and, and nibbling at the edges and tinkering with quote-unquote reforms. You all were put in office on a mandate, a nationwide mandate to do something about the racism that is at the foundation of criminal justice in most intensely reflected in police culture and police encounters between black people and the police and the communities they live in. We have an opportunity now to do that, and I'm confident that we're going to keep doing that, although I'm aware that there's going to be a fight in it because the other side is well-resourced and committed to the white supremacy that's at the foundation of the system they serve and maintaining the status quo. Delacey, the thing, the thing here also when you're dealing with uh, white liberals who don't get it, take James Carville. Uh, he was on a uh, interview with uh, Weekly Standard editor Bill Crystal where he was bitching and moaning about cancel culture and what he called the drag identity politics. Uh, and this is what he said. It's the thing that I'm most worried about. Carville told Crystal about uh, these issues. They're always trying to get somebody fired. They're outraged at somebody all the time, and it just wears people down. This is, this is Carville. He ripped defund the police. But here's the reality. The people who are advocating for defund the police, who are pushing for as, as, as aggressive stance as possible, that's what leads to what took place in Maryland. That's what leads to what took place uh, with the New York City Council and the same thing when it came to uh, uh, the, the immunity clause with police officers. That's why we're seeing the changes. And so Carville, for all of his focus on let's just get Democrats elected, well, Carville, white boys like you not getting shot and killed. White mamas are not having to be on television like Deontay's mama and Eric Garner's mama. See, that's what's not happening. See, for all these folks who will say, oh, y'all should be, oh, it's like, this is hurting us politically. No, it's hurting us as a community and as a nation. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. There's racism um, with the liberals and the conservatives, right? Because at the end of the day, we still continue to lose at the end of the day. I don't think that anybody else gets to tell us what hurt and how long we should cry about it and how we should respond to it. I want to acknowledge Senator Jill Carter in Maryland. We've been working with her office and others in that community since 1997. So that's how long it has taken Maryland to get to where they are today. Because people like Jill Carter and those who preceded her were taking on this fight long before it was popular. And so the Carvilles of the world, you're right, their children, they're not having the talks with their little white children. Um, Joey, Tom, Bob, Susie, whoever else they've got in their community. But we do. They're not ducking. They're not dealing with double consciousness. They're not dealing with double marginality. The reality that black folks have got to constantly want to be have to be seen through the eyes of white America, which is what you heard when that officer was giving commands and demands to the lieutenant. What he was essentially saying was, boy, stay in your place. And because you're out of your place, I'm going to correct you. And that's what we're talking about. What we're really talking about is America's racial have been exposed, the inequities have been exposed, and so folks have to pick a side, and that's where we are at this point. What side are you on? Are you on the side of right, social justice, fairness, equity, or are you on the side of, we want to give them a little bit of justice, but we want to maintain power and control over the resources in this country? Here's why I'm laughing, Cheryl. Cargo says, Biden doesn't get involved in all of this, and I think that's smart. 
just keeps talking about what he talks about, and I think it's smart because once you get drawn into it, their life may never stop. But President Biden also, but he's also, of course, he said he was going to establish a National Police Oversight Commission within his first 100 days. That's not being placed on hold. Why? Because the White House got with National Civil Rights Organization and police unions and decided the commission is not necessary, redundant, and that more focus should be placed on meaningful police reform that brings profound, urgently needed change. Biden's administration is in full support of the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. The thing here, uh, Cheryl, which again, while I'm laughing, is because, oh, right, a commission. Obama had one. Okay, don't create another damn commission. Change the damn law. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, this whole George Floyd Justice and Reform and Policing Act, it sounds good and sexy, but the fact of the matter is there are no real teeth behind it. A lot of the things that they're proposing, some of it is already being done. Putting officers on a registry nationally is certainly not going to stop a Derek Chauvin. Every police officer who cuts up is on a list somewhere. Do you think that they didn't know who Derek Chauvin was? He had 18 personnel complaints, and so I've been very vocal about this whole national registry. And, uh, you know, the police chief there in Minneapolis taking the stand and speaking out, and, you know, everybody wanted to give him kudos and a pat on the back. He gets no brownie points from me. He's been the chief over there for two years. They know exactly who Derek Chauvin was, yet they allowed him to live to offend again. And the other officer, the Asian officer, Tao, who stood sentry, he was responsible for a $25,000 settlement because he hit a black man in the head with a flashlight and knocked his teeth out. So knowing who they are, discussing it, having a panel, a registry, and all of that good stuff is meaningless, and, and it will do nothing to deter these officers. In the midst of this George Floyd trial, we still see outrageous and egregious behavior. They haven't been able to control themselves since last May, and here we are today talking about Dante Wright in the midst of everything that's gone on nationally. Um, folks, uh, and while that is happening, the Dante Wright shooting that the protest there, of course, the trial there to show what is taking place in the murder of George Floyd. We're in the third week, uh, in the final day of the prosecutor's call, a variety of witnesses, including the brother of George Floyd earlier, though, Judge Peter Cahill, uh, ruled that Floyd's friend Maurice Hall will not testify. They all, he also turned down a defense request to actually sequester the jury. Here is a roundup of today's testimony. Do you have an opinion uh, as to whether George Floyd would have lived if not for Mr. Chavez's appeal and restraint? Up here for nine minutes and 29 seconds.
tolerance. Um, there's even one emergency room visit that I had reviewed where he came in and he told the emergency room team that, you know, he was tearful and says, I'm having trouble with substance abuse. I just took, I think he said, I took eight Percocets within two hours. Um, he had no side effects from that at all. They observed him for a couple hours and they discharged him. Um, and just so looking through it, looked like he had built up a high tolerance just in general to opiates. Uh, but the second, and just as important, maybe more important, was I didn't see any of the signs of an opiate overdose uh, when I reviewed uh, the, the videos. So Dr. Rich then, taking into account um, all of the evidence that you reviewed, uh, do you have an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to whether Mr. Floyd's death was preventable? Uh, yes, I do. Would you tell us what that opinion is? Yes, I believe that Mr. George Floyd's death was absolutely preventable. You testified um, that Mr. Floyd, uh, based on your review of the video, did start complaining of shortness of breath prior to being placed in the prone, complaint, the prone position. Right? Yes, I heard more than one occasion, he, he's, he say the words, I can't breathe. And if um, Mr. Floyd had simply gotten in the back seat of the squad car, do you think that he would have survived? You may give it a med if you have a medical opinion as to that. So had he not been restrained in the way in which he was, I think he would have survived that day. I think he would have gone home or wherever he was going to go had he not been subjected to the prone and positional restraint that he was. So in other words, if he had gotten in the squad car, he'd be alive. Um, I think my answer remains the same. Anything other than that scenario that he was subjected to, I have no reason to think from a medical perspective that he would not have survived that day, correct? Sir, would you please describe uh, this photo and what you know about it? That's, that's my mother. She lives on wheels right now, but that's, that's my oldest brother, George. I'm just both of them. They are. I was married. In May 24th, I got married. And my brother was killed May 25th. And my mom died on May 30th. It's like a, a bittersweet month because I'm supposed to be happy when that month comes. Sir, I'd like to uh, ask you some questions about uh, your mom's passing a little bit. If you need a moment, I can take a minute and just let me know when of our, our panel uh, again um, on how this uh, how the prosecution laid this whole thing out. Lisa, I want to start with you. Uh, I, I can't recall the last time I saw a trial when officer was on trial and you had the number of police officers testifying against that cop for the prosecution. We're almost out of time for this segment, so we will stop and start a new one.
and let this continue. Thank you for listening. I believe that it's over right now. Again, 